Welcome to Done By Law on 3CR 855 AM. And also welcome to those listening via various podcast platforms or via streaming on 3cr.org.au. Tonight, our hosts are Tess. G'day, Tess. Hello, Sue. And me, Sue. (laughs) Welcome. It's just after 6pm on Tuesday, August 30th. And of course, we start by acknowledging the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nations as the original and rightful custodians of the land that 3CR broadcasts from. We pay our respects to Elders, past, present and emerging. And we also acknowledge that this land was stolen, never ceded, always was, always will be Aboriginal land. Tonight we're talking mortgage stress. Prior to the uh, recent interest rate increase, there was an alarming number of Victorians that were in mortgage stress. About half or 44% of Victorian households with a mortgage were in mortgage stress in late March this year. Eight of the top 12 postcodes in Australia experienced, experiencing highest numbers of mortgage stress are in Victoria. Despite unemployment figures below 4%, mortgage stress and cost of living pressures continue to grow and interest rates are increasing, all set against a background of record high household debt levels. Tonight we're going to explore what mortgage stress is, not mortgage stress, (laughs) mortgage stress, and what services um, a new clinic called Mortgage Stress Victoria provides. Joining us here in the studio is Stephanie Tonkin, Director of Operations and Strategy at the Mortgage Stress Clinic. Welcome, Steph. Thank you. Hello. And Evie Montfort, a Social Work Program Manager also at Mortgage Stress Victoria. Hi. Welcome, Evie. Uh, And uh, first of all, uh, just we actually have interviewed um, or covered the topic of mortgage stress in the past, but it was called mortgage well-being then, and now we're into mortgage stress. So it seems like (laughs) the environment, (laughs) the situation has changed a little. So first of all, I'm knocking the microphone, which is not very good for radio. Uh, What does mortgage stress mean, please, Dev? Sure. Um, Well, I think we all hear the term mortgage stress in the news in the media every day, Um, although when we did start the Mortgage Wellbeing Service around eight years (laughs) ago, um, it wasn't a well widely used term, so uh, maybe we'll start with a definition. That's Um, a good idea. (laughs) So there are a couple. Um, uh, The ABS uses a definition of lower income households spending around 30% of their household income on their mortgage. 
Um, and there are, uh, there's another widely used definition, which is basically a household being in negative cash flow. Um, and depending on the um, on which definition you take, uh, the first being around a third of households um, in Victoria are in mortgage stress versus around 45% in negative cash flow, which is pretty concerning. Um, and at West Justice's Mortgage Stress Victoria service, we take a really broad view. So um, our clients may be even up to date on their mortgage. So the mortgage is in the black, but um, in order to be in that position, our clients are Growing other debts, buy now, pay later debts, um, personal loans, um, skipping meals. The mortgage might be um, paid up to date but being used as a tool of coercive control or economic abuse. So it's a really broad picture um, and we try to take a really broad approach to um, responding. That's interesting. How, how does a mortgage get used as coercive control or financial abuse? Um, oh, Evie, do you want to you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can. I can talk about that. So um, I think economic abuse and the coercive control are, are probably pretty closely linked um, in, in these circumstances. Um, but basically um, the, the house or the, the mortgaged property is, is often used as um, a way of controlling uh, either a partner or the family. Um, and we see a, a lot of uh, women in particular who are victim survivors of family violence um, who um, perhaps haven't been named on the mortgage um, or on the title and we're then um, trying to find ways to, to support um, these women in particular um, around the economic abuse. Steph, you might want to yeah. touch on that a bit more. And sometimes it can be um, difficult for a woman in those circumstances if they're not named on the mortgage to mm. then deal with a bank, get information about if the perpetrator has been excluded through legal processes, excluded from the property, and you have um, typically, you know, quite a few of our clients are in the circumstance. You have a mum and the kids uh, living at home um, and they can't access information about has the mortgage been repaid? Mm. Um, are there legal proceedings on foot to recover the home? Am I going to be made homeless? Um, and because of banks' uh, privacy and confidentiality policies, um, they do not communicate with that, that person or with us, but we're... Um, in the throes of uh, trying to work with banks to change that approach uh, because it's not really uh, personal information or private information. So, But as you can see, that's how um, uh, the mortgage or withholding funds or threatening to withhold funds can be used as that tool of, of control and, mm. and putting someone into um, real fear. Gosh, that, that's a much more like when, when you think of the idea of mortgage mm. stress that sort of reach or the tentacles of the um, stress that sort of um, flows out of a mortgage mm. is quite mm. broad. Yeah, and uh, 30, we were just looking at some of our stats, 37% of our clients um, are victim survivors of family violence and economic abuse. So that's um, probably underreported and pretty concerning mm. in the grand scheme. Mm. Yes, and so certainly the clients um, that we support through the social work side of things, I would say there's it's a higher statistic than that um, that are coming mm. through for social work support. Um, but yeah, as a program in general, it's pretty concerning. 37% is a really high number. 
It sure is. Um, I just lost my train of thought then. (laughs) (laughs) Did you have a question, Tia? Yeah, I did. Um, I'd be interested to hear um, from Evie and also from Steph a bit about how the social work aspect sits with the legal aspect. Um, I think a lot of community legal services might be used to working with social workers as somebody who we refer clients to, but it's pretty unusual to have a a service where they're so closely working together with lawyers Mm. and and also with financial counsellors, as I understand it, in Mortgage Stress Victoria. Could you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, yeah, Tess, as you said, we we do work um, as an integrated practice and uh, a multidisciplinary service. So um, we're lawyers, financial counsellors and social workers um, supporting the client. Um, And basically, um, the social work role, I mean, people are accessing our service because they either need legal advice or financial support um, around their mortgage stress. And and our goal in the social work team is to really wrap around that client, hold their hand during that really difficult Mm. process. There's a huge amount of um, emotional distress that our clients are feeling. And I guess on top of that, our data shows that 62% of our clients are presenting with mental health issues already. So that's... um, extra need for um, for social work support as well. But basically we work from a case management model um, and we are either on one end kind of providing um, maybe support around a client needs assistance with applications, maybe for um, Centrelink payments or, um, you know, support through the My Age Care system, that kind of stuff. Or we could be doing uh, greater support around care coordination, so lots of liaising with health services, um, mental health services, um, family violence support. That's kind of a bit of a um, an everything support at that stage. Um, but we also work really closely with the legal and financial counselling side of things um, and provide um, uh, support letters to go towards the hardship applications as well when it's needed or maybe when the banks and creditors are kind of pushing back a little bit and and we need to kind of provide a bit of extra um, information on what's happening for the client emotionally. And it's... um it's such a great model because it helps our lawyers and financial counsellors stay in their own lane mm. as well. Um, for many community lawyers, you know, it's you know, <laughs> clients don't present with just a legal issue, um, and so that's why this model does have the client at the centre. Mm. Um, but also, you know, being one of those workers, you know, knowing that if I have safety concerns or concerns for the well-being of my client, I can immediately pop my head around and talk to one of our social workers. Um, Equally, if I've got concerns about their safety from a family violence perspective, you know, I throw over to the family violence team and, you know, hearing the family violence team, sorry, the social work team talking through, you know, can, can you safely get your car out of the car park you know is is your car safely parked there you know really that really practical stuff that perhaps we don't think about as uh, lawyers um you know make the the ability to work you know within our own disciplines and our own training is um we do lots of safety planning around stuff like that yeah (laughs) so so do you do you work um separately but together like do you do you each of the um, social workers and the lawyers and the financial counsellors see the same client separately or is it this 
uh, together approach and and how does it work? Yeah, I'll start and you can. <laughs> sure. Um, I th- originally, when we first started this service as a little pilot out in Melton mm-hmm. eight years ago, um, we did have all three disciplines sitting together and, and working with the client, and that was pretty extraordinary. Um, now we've expanded to a statewide service and grown significantly. We're a team of um, soon to be 14. Um, and I think just because of the demands of the service, we, we really have to just um, work in our own disciplines. But there's a lot of conversation and really productive sharing of ideas and support. Yeah, yeah, there is. We even though we are, I guess, technically supporting the clients individually mm-hmm. um, and kind of separate separating out the professions a little bit, um, we we do so much consultation with each other um, and with the client's consent. Of course, we're communicating with each other um, around their matters and and how we can best support them. Um, even though we are kind of separated out. I was going to ask about that. I'm, you know, very aware of the lawyer's ethics and (laughs) confidentiality and and so you talked about consent. So Mm. you you talk to the clients about this whole model and the design of the service they're going to receive? Yeah, that's right. Yep. Yes. Okay. (laughs) Nice. It's like a big hug. Yeah, it it's is. it's <laughs> hopefully <laughs> it's amazing, but it's also it's something interesting we've been reflecting on just today. Even is I do feel like sometimes our social work team is sort of filling the gap in some of the systems. So mm. talking about the family violence system, and I, Evie, I don't want to speak for you, but um, <laughs> you know, working with clients who don't qualify for other services, um, mm. and so. Sometimes it's a bit bizarre. The mortgage stress, Victoria, social worker is helping um, plug a gap. Um, But it is what sometimes you find you're doing. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think, unfortunately, in the social work sector... um, you know, funding's are always a, a difficulty and it's really hard to get a social worker for yeah. anything, really. Um, so uh, I think what we're seeing, particularly a fair bit in, in family violence, is a lot of our clients haven't necessarily um, left the relationship yet or, or they're still, maybe they're living under the same roof but separated. And this, unfortunately, other than kind of some immediate safety planning, um, means that they're not typically eligible for ongoing family violence case management. Um, Mm. So we do find that we're kind of, yes, plugging some of those gaps. Putting it under the umbrella of mortgage. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. You've talked about um, the the crossover with uh, um, family violence. Mm -hmm. Are there other themes associated with mortgage stress that are um, sort of appearing for you? Yeah. um, Well, quite a few. Uh, (laughs) we just pulled some data before the show, uh, and interestingly, oh, thanks. <laughs> 50, thanks, Andrew. Uh, 50% of our clients uh, presented with, uh, well, cited physical injuries and physical health as a driver of their mortgage stress. So Evie's team is swamped in oh. TAC and work cover clients with those sorts yep. of proceedings on foot. And again, like I was saying, the systems issues, um, you've got a glacial moving system of TAC or work cover clients waiting four years for an outcome. Um, Mm. And that's not okay from a psychological perspective for some of our clients. And so, you know... Four years is a long time. You're talking about people who are 
unwell, which mm. means their employment's affected and uh-huh. therefore their capacity to pay their mortgage is affected. Indeed, yeah. Yes. And it's really hard to negotiate a, a hardship arrangement when you've got a sort of a very long-term mm. um, issue at mm. play. So um, Evie's and team's been really involved in those cases. Oh, absolutely, yes. Yep. We, we're very involved in those cases and we're seeing more and more of those cases um, coming up. And I think the the other tricky thing with um, clients who have got those kind of longer-term physical injuries and, and physical health concerns is that it's definitely not just about the mortgage at that stage. Mm. Everything else has piled up um, mm. behind them, unfortunately, because they just haven't been able to catch a break to, to be able to get on top of things. Yeah. yeah. I'm going to, um, we need to go to a break. Um, So listeners, we're going to take a quick break for some community announcements and we'll be back soon to continue the conversation. We might ask you if you've got any examples of a case that you could tell us about a little little bit after the break. Back soon. The Seoul Masni Centre for Performing Arts and Monica Singh Sanwan present a year-long season of solo and group Odyssey dance performances on Saturday, September 17th and 24th at Dance House and October 1st at Fairfield Amphitheatre. All shows will be accompanied by our live Odyssey music ensemble. Odyssey is an Indian classical dance style that is both traditional and contemporary in its intrinsic nature. Join us for what can only be described as a pilgrimage where the dancer and musicians merge together as co-performers. Tickets available via our website sohamasmi.org. This project has been financially supported by Regional Arts Victoria and Creative Victoria. We also acknowledge Dance House, Multicultural Arts Victoria and 3CR Community Radio as supporters in this endeavour. Welcome back. You're listening to Done By Law on 3CR 855am and streamed at 3cr.org.au. Your hosts tonight are Tess and Sue and we're chatting with Steph Tonkin, Director of Operations and Strategy and Evie Montfort, Social Work Program Manager at Mortgage Stress Victoria New Clinic dealing with this issue of mortgage stress. Um, before the break we were talking sort of more generally about some of the themes that have come out of the work of the clinic. Um, how, um, carrying on a bit from that, how has COVID-19 affected, aggravated, impacted on, on mortgage stress? Yeah, and it's it's that present tense of COVID-19 um, that is really emerging through our casework. Um, so 37 client of our client, 37% of our clients, um, and our client, we're up at around 150 clients in the past four months. Um, 37% have cited COVID um, as a driver of their mortgage stress. Um, around 42% had cited unemployment um, as the driving force behind the mortgage stress. And clients were twice as likely to cite employment difficulties as a factor of mortgage stress when they also cited COVID-19. Um, and sort of in this context, we saw over COVID some extraordinary measures in place um, yeah. in terms of hardship and, and <laughs> gaps in your mortgage. Really, yeah, unprecedented, that word. Um, <laughs> but now we're sort of in... It, it, it feels like, certainly from our casework, the, the lenders are picking up and moving on, in a sense. So um, we're seeing lenders expecting people to snap back into pre-pandemic payment cycles uh-huh. when there's two years of debt that's, yeah, that's <laughs> unpaid. Kind of yeah, it's accumulated mm. and, you know, in some cases being stuck on the end of the loan. But, um, 
you know, now our clients are, are getting back on their feet and we've got a couple of case examples where our clients over that period were completely out of work um, and they've just literally just gotten back into work but there needs to be a scale up um, mm-hmm. but instead um, the banks are litigating against our clients mm-hmm. to repossess the homes and evict them just as they're getting back mm-hmm. on their feet and um, you know threats to the media have been some of the uh, you know some wow. of our tools in advocacy because um we have found that repossessions haven't been used necessarily as a tool of la- as an enforcement option of last resort, and it really must be. Um, you know, we've got a so growing. When you say, sorry to interrupt, oh, sorry. but when you say tool of last, you, you're saying that actually it's it's they're jumping in with that much yeah. earlier than they need to. The banks yes. and yeah. all financial institutions. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Look, the financial lenders have a creditors have a whole range of tools in their toolkit um, to, um, you know, hardship options and, and other ways of negotiating repayment of outstanding debts and arrears. Um, but sometimes we are seeing, you know, people have been through a really tough time in the past two years um, mm-hmm. and more so. Um, and it's not just, as we talked about earlier, it's not just the mortgage debt. Uh, our clients, over 90% of our clients are presenting in mortgage arrears coupled with council rates coupled with energy uh-huh. debt and water debt so it's mm. again that OC big picture fees. oh owners <laughs> solar, <laughs> solar debt um oh, so gosh. um you know we're seeing the Long full yeah, yeah the full gamut um and so to repay one puts the yeah. other at, at risk etc so, so so does that mean that you as part of this work you're negotiating not just with the financial institutions but mm-hmm. all of those other institutions as well yeah <laughs> <laughs> We're busy. Our financial <laughs> counsellors are extremely good uh, but and very busy uh, trying to negotiate all of those. But, you know, also, I mean, I think this is really important. Um, yeah, our clients are often the ones who are getting some of those hardship arrangements with the council and, and um, our clients are really empowered and do often want to, you know, take those steps and do that advocacy themselves. So mm-hmm. um, sometimes we share the load as well. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, of course, we have amazing financial counsellors across the country doing that work as well. So mm, yeah. um, sometimes we share. Uh, uh, we might take some of the legal work or the social work yeah. and uh, work alongside other um, FCs. Um, yeah. Financial counsellors. <laughs> yeah. Yes. <laughs> Um, and I guess just to add to that um, a little bit around some of the the impacts that we're seeing um, with COVID-19 uh, is around uh, how people are re-engaging with their perhaps health providers or mental health services afterwards. I think a lot of things went online um, and, you know, that's sometimes that's really difficult um, for your um, allied health services to go online. Um, And Mm -hmm. so part of what we've been seeing is that now that things are opening up a little bit more, there just seems to be a little bit of uh, reluctance and resistance around um, re-engaging with with other healthcare providers um, and having to kind of gently encourage that a bit more. So that's definitely been an impact that we've noticed from from COVID-19 as well. Mm. Right. Gosh, it's so you you look like you have a question there, Tess. <laughs> um, not especially. I guess I've been listening and, been and nodding and listening, fascinated <laughs> and um, 
yeah, so excited about this service, which I understand is a fairly new service. I guess the big question for me is is who can access it? It's called Mortgage Stress Victoria. You're based in Melbourne. Um, who can access it and how? Great question. Um, <laughs> um, yes, so who can access the service? Basically, the, the eligibility um, is that um, you need to have a mortgage. <laughs> um, so a mortgage mm-hmm. over a property or over a, a residential property in Victoria, um, some level of financial difficulty. Yeah. Um, and I'm sure there's one more. <laughs> no. That's it. That's all that you need, really. Because you you mentioned earlier that sometimes there are um, victim survivors of family Mm. violence Mm. who technically don't have Mm. the mortgage. Yes. But you're helping them. So how do they fit in? We take a broad view (laughs) on (laughs) having a mortgage. So those those particular clients, and and they are many of our clients, Mm. um, they have a significant interest in the mortgage for all intensive purposes. They have a mortgage. Mm-hmm. Um, they're just not named on the mortgage. Yeah. Often they're the ones paying the mortgage. So, yes. Ah, yeah. right. Yes. <laughs> I guess they have a mortgage then. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but um, important to note that we can help no matter how early or late in the cycle of the mortgage stress. But the earlier people do reach out for help, the more options they do have to deal with their mortgage stress, and um, you know, generally work towards those longer-term outcomes as well. Right. So if, I mean, I'm sure we have listeners out there who are in these situations. How do they get a hold of you? <laughs> um, they can call us on one eight hundred five seven two two nine two. 572 292 Also, you know, financial counsellors across the country, like I said, are um, also working in this space. So um, they can contact the National Debt Helpline um, or also reach out to their financial institutions, energy companies, etc., um, for and ask for hardship assistance if they do find that they're in that um, position. So um, there are options to deal with what can feel quite overwhelming. Um, mm. yeah. So, so I guess if I if they're going to ask for something, that's the thing they ask for. They say they say we're stressed and we need some assistance, some do you have a hardship policy? Is that sort of the the opening question? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, ask for help and um, if yeah, if you're not satisfied, you can reach out to us or a financial uh. counsellor or make a complaint. <laughs> to oh, a I'm sure you resolution. have information about making a complaint. That's a whole other program. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, um, thank you very much. On that note, we'll have to close um, because we're running out of time and... Um, unfortunately. Um, So uh, that's it for the program for this evening. Thanks to you both, Steph and Evie, for sharing your time and expertise and wonderful insights with us. That was Steph Tonkin and Evie Monfort from from Mortgage Stress Victoria talking about their really important new work. Thanks to also to Lan and Josh from Monash Uni Law School for their background research work on this program our wonderful Monash Uni Law students who um, this is their last program too. So, And also thanks to you, our listeners, for tuning in. You've been listening to Done By Law on 3CR 8.55am, streamed at 3cr.org.au 
and available on various podcast platforms. Done by Law will be back again next Tuesday at 6pm. Stay tuned now for the voices of West Papua.